Hey guys, welcome to Trinity Church Online. For more information, please visit us at ourtrinity.org or you can find us on Facebook at Trinity Church of Wheat Ridge or even on Instagram at Trinity Church CO. No matter where you are today, we are glad that you have joined us here. Is that the declaration of your life? That you trust in God and that you will not be shaken? Man, I, I love that song. This week has been <laughs> a crazy week for me and Andrea, for sure, um, but in, in a good way. And it, it's just shown me how God is so good in our life. And it's, it's an awesome thing, and uh, I really can't get into detail because I honestly don't have enough time today to go through all the things I need to do, but I'm going to. Um, but it's, it's just been a, a, an exciting week, very emotional, but... God leading the way week, and it's been, a, it's just been an awesome thing, um, but yeah, so we're finishing up 1 Peter today, 1 Peter, and we're going through two chapters, all right, four and five today, and that's a lot, but I think I've been able to uh, kind of get it down, and so I got, I got a little bit of time, um, but that's, that's what we're going to be wrapping up today, we're going into the book of the Revelation uh, starting next week, but right now, we're going to continue on this life of an exile, I mean, we've been talking about suffering for, for quite a while at this point. I think that's because, you know, Peter's emphasis uh, is on suffering in this, but not, not simply from the standpoint of, you know, your life is going to be terrible, it's gonna be, you're going to suffer, but from the standpoint of God gives you grace. It's an encouraging letter that we read. And so to continue with that theme, we're going to do the same thing. We're talking about suffering last, or not last week, two weeks ago, uh, just to kind of remind you, we looked at what we need to do to get through suffering. What do we do while we are suffering? And the, the things that we looked at is we needed to have an attitude of submission that's characterized by love, right? Love for one another, love for the world around us, but then also characterized by submission to Christ because it is through him, it is the, he's the reason why we're suffering, but it's also his, re, his victory that we receive. And we also saw during the time when we're suffering, we, always, we need to always be ready to share the gospel. Um, and that, that, that's, that's one of the reasons why we suffer is so that we can share the gospel and the hope that we have because people will ask us about it. Well, today, what we're going to see is the result of suffering. What comes from suffering in the life of a Christian? When I was in youth group, I used to sing a song. It was a hymn, and I used to sing it all the time. And you might be familiar with it. I don't know if you are or not. But, uh, and it was titled, Lord, I Need You. Now, it's not the Lord, I Need You, we sing. Uh, and me and my brother, every time we hear that or every time he picks it, that's the song I'm going to tell you. That's the song that comes to our mind because we always sang it in youth group. And it's a good song. But the first line of that song goes like this. Sometimes when life seems gentle and blessings flood my way, I turn my gaze away from you and soon forget to pray. See, when things are going well, we don't often look for help. Why, why should we, Right? Things are going well for our life. Why do we need to look for help? And, and many times we become careless with our thoughts, with our actions, with our words, because things are just going so well. I think this happens a lot with those uh, maybe celebrities or, or athletes that get a lot of money, right? Especially like young athletes that get all this money and they spend all of it. And then you find out after a lot of these athletes enter in, re in retirement, man, they need to work. And you were like, man, they earn millions and millions of dollars. You could retire, right? No, they have to work because they spent it all. They became careless because everything was so good. They were like, ah, it doesn't matter. They weren't thinking. 
Well, the same thing can happen to us when we're going through good times, we become careless. And so what suffering does is it brings us a change of mindset. It helps us to reevaluate our goals and our values. So see, suffering can bring about good in our life if we allow it to work in our lives. So what we're going to see today is the results of suffering. Father God, I pray that you will just help me to, to, to speak this message, Lord. Holy Spirit, just, just speak to us and glorify Jesus through this word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So the first thing we're going to see about suffering is that suffering brings purification. Suffering brings purification, and this is found in verses 1 through 6 here. Purification means... To make pure. How many did you know that? How many of you knew that, right? Hopefully, right? It means, it means to make pure, right? And, and, and what it's referring to is, is a fiery furnace, a furnace that purifies gold, and it cleanses out imperfections. That's what purifying is. Well, Peter is going to tell us three things that a purified Christian will have his mind set on when he's going through suffering, because a result of suffering is purification. So we can see how that purification is working in our lives by the actions in our mindset. So the first thing is our mind will be focused on being more like Christ. Our mind will be focused on being more like Christ. In verse 1 we read, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Jesus suffered for us. He died on the cross because of our sins. He was without sin. And as a result of that, we in return will suffer as well. We will suffer for Christ's sake as well. See, Christ suffered for our sins, and he was also victorious over sin and death. So when we suffer and persevere through our sufferings, we will understand that we can also obtain that same victory over sin and death. So if you're being purified by suffering, one of the results is that we're going to have the mind of Christ. See, Jesus, he suffered. He went through because he knew the result of the suffering. He knew there was going to be ultimate victory. And he loved us so much that he went through that. And because when we suffer because of Christ's sake, we can persevere through because we have the mind of Christ and we know that there will be victory on the other end. Romans 6, 5 through 6 reads, For if we have been united with him in death like, the, like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So the first sign that, that you are becoming purified through the suffering is that our mind will be focused on becoming more like Christ. The second sign is that a purified Christian will not waste his time on fleshly desires. A purified Christian will not waste his time on fleshly desires. Verses, starting in verse 2. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. See, when you're young, and you don't, I guess you don't have to be young for this to be true as well, and you're not dealing with a whole lot of things in your life, I think we begin to take life for granted. We don't, we don't really have the end in mind, especially young people, right? We're, we're almost invincible, it seems like, to ourselves. Now, we know it's not, obviously, but 
That's the mindset that we have. But it's when we begin to suffer that we can actually see value in life. We'll see that life has value. We can either say, you know, as a result of this, life is too short, so then let's just go and be merry. Let's just do what we want. Let's drink. Let's have parties. Let's, let's live in the flesh because we don't have it much longer. Or, through suffering, we can say life is short, and I don't have much time to serve God here. See, a purified Christian, what he'll do is he will seek to, to do God's will in his life while he has life on this earth. See, we know that time is short. During the, uh, this last week, Pastor Ed and I were kind of talking about uh, this a little bit, right? He was talking about, you know, his age, and I was talking about my age, too, you know, and, and, and all these things, and we're like, man, it, time just flies. Right? I, was, I was thinking about, and how I referred it was, if I, if, say if Andrea and I were to have a, a, a child nine, from, nine months from now, I would almost be 30, and then... Some of you are like, Psh, that's young, you know. To me, I was like, man, 30, oh no, right? But then I was thinking about it. Man, by the time that kid graduate, graduates high school, I will almost be 60 years old, right? 30, nope, that's wrong, 50 years old. 50 years old, okay? Yeah, see, and you're like, whoa, what, what is this kid doing? <laughs> Thinking 28 years. Um, no, almost 50 years old, right? And I think about how fast high school and elementary, like that, that went in my life. I'm like, oh, I'm going to be 50 like that. And that's eye-opening. See, many of you in here, I don't have to tell you life is short. You know it. You, you're like, yeah, I, I'm counting the seconds probably. <laughs> See, we, <laughs> I'm not saying who, I'm just saying. <laughs> right? See, we know that life is short. And rather than living to our own will, to our own sinful desires, and, and listening to the will of sinful men, we need to live in accordance to the will of God. Because we don't have much time here. So a purified Christian, they will not waste their time on fleshly desires. And the third thing we see is that a purified Christian will live in accordance to God's judgment. Starting in verse 4, with respect to this, they were surprised when they do not join them in the same flood of debauchery but the, uh, and, and malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. So the world, they will not understand your decision to serve God with the life that you've been given. They won't. Their, their response will be, it's too short. Why are you... Why are you doing that? You need to live the way that you want right now because you only have one life. They say life is enjoyed, is, is short. You need to enjoy. Join us in celebrating in life to the fullest. That's how they will phrase it. And in fact, not only will they try to convince you, but if you don't, they'll just go behind your back and badmouth you to other people. They'll say, ah, they're, they're killjoys. Yeah, they, they just don't care about life. They don't want to have fun. They'll do whatever they can to, the, the verse says, malign you, right? Speak poorly of you. But what we have to understand is that we have a better judge. Men will judge you, but we have a better judge in heaven. See, our focus is on his judgment, not the judgment of man. Not what men would say to you. 
The last verse in verse 6 here says that the gospel was preached to those before who have now died so that they may live with God now in spirit. This verse isn't talking about how uh, if, if someone dies, the gospel can get preached to them and they can still go to heaven after death. That's not true. The Bible doesn't speak to that. What this is saying is those that have already died, the, the gospel was preached to them. And they had died because of that. They suffered through this gospel, but now they have obtained life, spiritual life. See, the flesh judged them. Man judged those people. They killed them, martyred them. But we know God is the ultimate judge. And yeah, they, we, we, we could, you know, they can destroy the flesh, but the Bible says not to, def- not to fear those that can destroy flesh and bone, but to fear him that can destroy the soul. We have a fear of God, but it's a, it's a righteous fear and a just fear. But we know, even though the flesh may judge us, that our spirit will live with God. So that's why we live under his judgment, not man's judgment. Warren Wearsby says, It is important that Christians arm themselves with the same attitude toward the world, sin, and suffering that Jesus had while on earth. If we, if we face suffering with a spirit, without a spiritual attitude, suffering will embitter us rather than purify us. See, we can't face the world, we can't face sin, we can't face man's judgment, these things, with bitterness. Because if we allow that to, to, to set in, we'll allow that to control us, but we have to do it with a spiritual attitude, knowing that we will obtain victory, that God is our judge, and that life is too short to live in our fleshly desires. So that's the first result of suffering, is that that the saint will become purified. We will see purification. The second result is that suffering brings unification to the church. Suffering brings unification to the church. Starting in verse 7 of chapter 4 in 1 Peter. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, once, since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Times of suffering can cause damage in a relationship. Some of you maybe, maybe have experienced that where you were suffering and, and it caused some damage in your relationship, right? Because frustrations can build up. You, you begin to maybe blame each other. Even though they have nothing to do with it, you still find blame in them or fault in them. Or maybe they're trying to help, but it seems like they're doing more harm than good. See, suffering can cause damage in relationships, but we must strive to find unity in our times of suffering. That is something we need to strive for, is to find unity. See, church, it's going to take some work. It's going to take work to find unity. It's not, you know, you're just going to suffer and sit back, and then, oh, we're all just going to come together. It takes work. Everything in church does. See, the world is going to be crashing around you, because you're living for Christ and you're going to suffer for it. But during that time, we need to be self-controlled and sober-minded, knowing that we need to focus on unity, not division at this time. So how do we find unity in the church during suffering? 
What does unity look like? Well, verse 7 tells us that we must love each other earnestly. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. See, what this word earnestly means, and in some translations it's translated as fervent, what it means is to be stretched out. Love is to be stretched out, right? Like a rubber band. Or how many of you have seen uh, like a taffy shop? And you see the, the taffy spinning around, right? Every time I watch that, I kind of drool a little bit because I'm like, ooh, taffy, that's really good, right? But it's stretched. It's being pulled to the, to the limits, stretched out even beyond what we expected it to do. But many of us, we are love is more like a steel rod. And you're like, a steel rod? That's pretty strong, right? But what happens when it finds resistance? <laughs> It'll break. See, our love for, another, for one another, what it does is it covers up sin. Okay, and let me explain what that means. It doesn't mean that it cleanses it of sin. Right? It doesn't mean, oh, I love them, so then there's no more sin involved. But when it, when it talks about covering up sin, and it doesn't mean that it's forgotten, what it means is that we're not going around spreading each other's or, and other people's sins to each other. We're not judging people based on their sin. See, too many times, I think, unfortunately, in the, in the church, we can find this, right? We'll find it, we'll just look at someone, and one of the first things we may think is, is oh, I wonder if they do these sins, or they committed this sin. See, we begin to judge someone by their sin, but if we truly love someone, it will cover that. We won't base our decision, we won't base our attitude someone on their sin. When we're suffering, it's easy to find faults in people's lives, right? Because we're struggling too. And we don't want to look like the only one that's suffering, and so we try to find other issues. But during this time, we need to, to strive for unity and unity is found when we love one another. Second way we find unity is that we are, hosp we we are hospitable to each other. In verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. See, we must be willing to open our homes and our hearts to each other. One thing that I, I really appreciate, because uh, uh, especially when Andrea and I move into a new house, but we have some friends that, that bought a new house recently, and they're doing a lot of work on the house. But every time I'm over there and people are working, they didn't hire contractors, they didn't hire all this stuff. It's all people from their church. And that's, that's an awesome thing. And me and my friend were talking about that. I was like, you know, we have a community that many people in this world don't have. Right? I'm sure if, if there was an issue that I had at my house, there's probably someone in here that maybe has experienced that at some point and is probably willing to help as best as they can. And the rest of the world doesn't have that. And I think what we need to do is we need to restore the blessing of Christian hospitality in our church today. That's something that, that, we, that we are blessed with, and yet we just don't want to give it. See, when Andre and I, when we move into this new home, I want this to be a big deal in our home, that we are showing hospitality to, to all of you. We want all of you to, to feel welcome, to be welcome at our home a place that we can serve you, not just here. I love at the end of the verse right here where it says, without grumbling. It's probably my favorite part, and the reason why it's my favorite part is because it probably connects with me the most. Right? 
If any of you know me a little bit, I, I'm not very, uh, what's the right word? I can be very friendly, but I also am not very, like, I, I reach a point where I become unpersonal anymore. And so, and, and I don't know what it is, it's just kind of my personality where I'm just like, oh, I've talked to enough people today, I don't know if I can do it anymore. Right? And it's something that I need to work on. So when I read this verse, show hospitality one another without grumbling, I'm like, oh, that was for me, right? Because I know some people that, they wouldn't grumble. They would grumble if, if they couldn't show hospitality. And so I, I read that, and it's my favorite part, because I'm like, at least I guess I, I know I'm not alone, right? Unless he specifically put that in there for me, which I would be like, oh, that's amazing, I guess. But we need to be hospitable. We have opportunities here to do that. The third thing that we find unity in is that we must continue to serve. Starting in verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And it goes on to talk about how, you know, if you're speaking, speak to the best of your ability as, as an oracle to God. If you're serving, serve with the strength of God. See, when we suffer for something, our tendency is to break away from it. All right, and a perfect example of that, at least in my life, is uh, going to the gym. It's hard. It works. And for like a week after, I'm sore. I experience pain. And so a result of that is like, I don't know if I want to go. All right, and I'm sure many of you experience that. Maybe not with the gym, but with something else. You experience pain or a hardship through something. And so you say, I'm going to actually back away. And we, you know, sometimes it's a good excuse. I'm going to, you know, take a break for right now. I need it. When we face persecution and suffer for Christ's sake, we will feel a desire to run from it. We'll feel a desire. We'll say, we're suffering for Christ, and, you know, Jesus will love me. He'll forgive me, so I can just kind of back off a little bit so I don't have to go through this suffering. What we need to do is we need to continue to serve and do so to our best of our abilities. We have to be uh, we have to persevere and always be serving. See, what we have to know is that we aren't serving ourselves, but we are serving God. When we're serving each other in the church, it's not for ourselves. And to a point, it's for each other, but the ultimate person we're serving is God. Are you using your gifts where you are right now to bring glory to God? And yeah, some people, we, you, you might be suffering more than I've ever suffered in my life. But suffering is not an excuse to not serve. It's not. And what we have to know is that where we are now in the midst of our suffering is when we need to serve and bring glory to God. The word here is varied grace, and what it means is, is many-colored. His grace is many-colored. God's grace can meet any need or match any situation that may arise. See, your suffering that you're going through isn't like a surprise to God. He isn't like, man, I've never seen that one before. Right? Or if you're serving him and you're going through a difficult situation, God isn't stumped. His grace is sufficient and it'll supply in any situation that you need. And don't feel like you're, you, the way that you serve or your talent isn't good enough. Don't ever feel like that because God gives us all different talents. And that has to do with his many-colored or varied grace. He gives us all different types of talents. So the question isn't necessarily, what is your talent? It's more, what are you doing to serve God? And if you strive and do what you, you can, 
you will serve in glory and give glory to God even though you're suffering. So that leads us to the third result. The third result is that suffering ultimately brings glory to God. In order to bring glory to God, though, in suffering, we must do a few things. The first one is that we need to stay poised when suffering comes. Verse 12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Peter is warning the church right now that an even worse trial is coming. See, the church, what they're going to face is that the Roman Empire, which has not, not really been friendly, but more of just kind of, yeah, just let them go and do their thing. It's going to become worse. They're going to become persecuted severely, right? They're going to become murdered and tortured for their beliefs. And it's not very far after this was written that this is going to happen. And what Peter is saying is, don't be surprised. Don't be caught off guard. Don't be shocked. Not only in Peter, but throughout the rest of the Bible, it tells us that we can expect trials in our lives. Philippians 1 verse 29 reads, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. We know we're going to suffer. So don't be surprised. If we're panicking, right, and we're not under control during these times, we'll make rash decisions. If we're caught off guard, well, uh, I'm just going to jump out of this real quick. But we have to know that the purpose of these trials is to make us more like Jesus. We can't find the escape hatch and cut out early. We have to, we have to persevere through it. See, if we panic and if we're surprised, we'll bail out and we'll step away from that purification that comes. But not only that, if the world sees us right? If the world sees us panicking and freaking out when a little bit of suffering comes, what is that going to speak about God? We're telling the world that we don't trust him. We're telling the world that we don't think he's in control. But if we are confident, if, we, if we're not surprised, right? If something terrible happens and, and someone that's not a Christian, they're like, man, how are you, how are you dealing with this? How, how can you handle this like that? Well, I'm not surprised by it, right? The Bible says it's going to happen, but I know my God is in control. So we need to stay poised when suffering comes, and that's how we can bring glory to God. We also need to rejoice in our suffering. And verse 13 reads, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. See, we rejo we're rejoicing not in what's happening, we're not saying, yes, I enjoy the pain, I enjoy the persecution. That's not what we're rejoicing in. But we're rejoicing because we're sharing in Christ's suffering, and that means we get to share in his victory and glory. That's why we can rejoice. We can also rejoice because we know the Spirit of God is resting upon us. This isn't talking about an indwelling, it's talking about a, fill, a filling. Right? The world is seeing God in us. And that's why we're suffering for it. And I don't know about you, but that's a reason to rejoice for me. The world is seeing Jesus through me. That's what God wants us to do, is to, to imitate Christ. And if the world is persecuting us for, a, for that, we need to rejoice because we're doing it right. So we need to stay poised. We need to rejoice in suffering, but we also need to entrust ourselves to God in our suffering. And starting in verse 15, 
But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I like right here, Peter, he starts it off right away saying like, don't suffer for wrongdoing. Let's not that be, uh, let that not be what people say happens to us, right? If we're suffering, there better not be a reason where they're like, well, yeah, you broke the law or yeah, you killed someone, you know? Like, I hope that's not the case. See, what we need to do is we need to do good and represent Christ in this world. That's what Peter is saying, right? Don't suffer because of wrong, suffer because of Christ. So what does it mean to entrust ourselves to God? Well, the word entrust is a banking term, and it means to deposit for safekeeping. To deposit for safekeeping. When we, uh, you know, weeks ago at this point, when we read, and we read through chapter 1, we saw that trials are made to test and to see the genuineness of our faith, right? We also saw earlier in this message that it's for our purification, so God purifies us with trials. So our response needs to be, we need to entrust ourselves to him. We know why the trials are here. We know why we're suffering. We need to put our lives in God's hand. And the way that we entrust ourselves is by doing good in the world when we're faced with evil. That's what it looks like to entrust ourselves. Verse 19, therefore let, us, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. If we are suffering for wrongdoing and not, right? If we're suffering for wrongdoing and not doing good, then we're not entrusting ourselves to God. But if we're doing good in this world while we're suffering, we're showing God that we are trusting in him and that we're putting our lives in his hand. And the reason why we can do this confidently, why we can entrust ourselves confidently is because we know our time of testing now is now and our time of glory comes later. Right? We can look forward to heaven. We can look forward to, to receiving that ultimate victory, right? Because our time of testing is now, but the world, their time of glory is now. But their time of testing and trials and judgment is after. See, we're in a better position. Even though we're suffering right now, we still get heaven. But the closest this world will ever get to heaven is right now. And it's a heartbreaking thing because if you look at those around you that are unsaved, this is the best it's going to get. But we can entrust ourselves by doing good, by sharing to the world the gospel of Jesus Christ and entrusting ourselves in God. And even though we're going to suffer and experience trials for it, we know that we still have victory and we want others to have that same victory. So when we suffer, we must put our lives in God's hands and know that, when we, are that we are investing ourselves in him and making a good deposit. So suffering can bring about, bring about great results, right? Purification, church unity, glory to God. But we must let the suffering do its work in our lives and we must persevere through it. So those are the results of suffering, right? That's chapter four. 
And we're going to get through chapter 5 super quick now. But chapter 5, it talks about preparation for suffering. Preparation for suffering. So during my basketball season, okay, one of the biggest games we had wasn't in the playoffs, wasn't, wasn't the championship game. It was very early on in our season. I think it was like our fifth game maybe. And it was against the number two team in the state. So at this point, we were the number three team. And they were the number two team. Now, the interesting thing about this is they were a very good team. So the year before, they made it uh, to the state playoffs. They were probably going to win the whole thing, actually. But because of COVID, you know, state playoffs, they didn't happen. Though they were a very good team. They knew what they were doing, right? They had practice. They, they had lost, I think, like a couple people maybe. But they weren't like very, they, they weren't the most reliable players. So it was like they lost, and last year we were looking, and we were like, man, they're not losing much, really. So they were a very good team. But the issue that they ran into was that they were in COVID protocol at the start of the season. So what COVID protocol meant is that they had to stay at home, they couldn't interact with each other, they had no practices, anything like that. So the, a couple days before our game, they had five players that were coming out of the protocol. All right, now it was their five best players, which is, you know, wasn't great for us. We would rather it be the bench players, of course. But it was the five best players that were coming out. And so they, they're like, hey, yeah, there's still a game. We just, we got five, which you need ex at least five. So we're going to play. Well, they had zero practices at this point. The reason why they could play is because they had already had COVID. And so they had come overcome the symptoms and all this stuff. So they were able to play now. But they had no preparation at all. And they couldn't even rely on past experiences to us uh, uh, that they experienced in the, in the past to beat us. Right? See, we beat them by 35 points. And you might look at it and be like, the number three team beat the number two team by 35 points. That doesn't make sense. Well, the reason being is because they had no time to prepare. And yes, they knew what to do. They knew how to play basketball. It's not like COVID made them forget but they didn't have that time to prepare. They weren't consistently preparing for it. See, we can know we're going to face trials, right? We can even have previous experiences and practice on how to overcome it. But if we are not continually keeping ourselves prepared, we will become overwhelmed when we do experience suffering. So what does it look like for a Christian, right? How do we, we stay prepared for when suffering comes? The first thing is we need to be faithful. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, it says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, gain but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And then the chief shepherd appears, you will... And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So the word so here at the beginning of chapter 5 is tying in what Peter has just been talking about. He says, you know, suffering is coming, right? We can expect it. And these are some of the results that, that suffering will, will produce in our life. So this is what we do. This is what we need to do. Now, this, this section is primarily written towards pastors, but I believe the, over, the overarching thing that we're learning here can be, can be applied to all Christians, right? We must be faithful in our calling. We must be, must be faithful in the way that God has called us, right? The pastor is called to shepherd his flock. 
So do you know what Peter is saying here? Do it. That's your calling, so do it. You're not in suffering right now, so shepherd your flock. Do the work. Watch over them. Take care of them. Instruct them. Lead them. Do all the things that you need to do. Right? A shepherd, he can't let his attitude get in the way because it can be hard to serve people. It really can. But if we love them, we will serve them because Christ is our example and he served others. Right? We don't do it for the money, but we do it out of a desire to serve. And while we're leading and while we're, we're being faithful, we're not going to domineer over people. We need to let our actions speak to the truth and let our actions speak to that what we preach. So, you know, none of you are pastors right now. Some of you are probably pastors in, earlier on in your life. But how do you apply this? See, how are you in your Christian life when you're serving others? Are you faithful to it? Because right now, if you're kind of eh, off and on, can't really be trusted, right? It's sort of hard, you know, sometimes you serve, sometimes you don't. If you're not faithful to your service now, how do you think you're going to be when suffering and trials come? You're going to back out. So we, the first thing is we need to be prepared for suffering by being faithful. The next thing is we need to be humble, humble. Verse 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that with, at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This verse is talking to young people, it says, but again, I think it refers to all of those in the church. It refers to all of us. When we enter a time of trial, okay, what do you think is the worst thing we can have if we enter in a time of trial or suffering? What's the worst thing you think we can have? What's that? Pride. Exactly. Pride is the worst thing you can have when you enter a, a time of trial in your life. See, we've been talking a lot about suffering, but what ultimately gets us through suffering is God's grace. That's what can get us through suffering is God's grace. But if we are suffering and we have pride in our life and we're prideful, God will show resistance towards us. We saw that in verse 5. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. In James chapter 4, verse 6 reads, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. When we live in humility now, it will be easier for us to do so when trials do come. We need to be humble to each other because God gives us grace, and the only thing that can get us through trials is grace. So let us not think of ourselves as, as greater than anybody else. Let's, let us not think of our own ideas being greater than anybody else's idea. When we try to do things our way, especially in trials, we will not find grace, but instead we'll find disappointment. We won't find success. We'll find that, that, that we have probably failed because we tried to do it on our own. And God's grace is what gets us through it. One of my favorite verses is, is uh, verse 7 right here, where it says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. God cares for you, right? This trial is for your good. And we can trust that when we humble ourselves and submit to him, we will be lifted up out of the suffering victorious. 
So we need to live in humility. We need to be humble. Not just while we're suffering, but leading up to it. And the last thing we need to do to be prepared for suffering is we need to be watchful. In verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We must be sober-minded, clear-headed, always watching out for our enemy. The purpose of being watchful is so that we're not surprised, but when the, when the devil, when Satan does come after us, we can be prepared. We're not caught off guard. To be watchful is to be alert. Right? We aren't, watch, uh, we aren't just watching for the enemy ultimately, right? We're, well, no, wait, that's the wrong spelling. We are watching for the enemy, right? We're looking for them. And the reason why is so we're not surprised. We can be on guard. See, this happens to even, even the best of those that are in the Bible, right? This happened to David. David, he should have been out in battle with his men. But instead, he stayed in the palace, and he got caught up in sin with Bathsheba. He wasn't being watchful. He wasn't being alert to what the devil would do. Not only do we need to be alert, but we must resist. This word refers to pushing against, right? Not letting there be a breach. See, we, we need to have this individual fight against Satan, right? We're watching for it, and when it happens, we, we resist against it. We push back against it. So there's that individual side. But we also need to know that together as a church, we need to push against it. All right, it says all the brotherhood throughout the world experience suffering too. So you're not in this alone. We all have the same enemy. And we need to fight and push against that together. We also must believe. We must believe that God can get us through this and that we will be restored, strengthened, confirmed, and established in him. God does this work for us. And if we are being watchful before suffering happens, if we're doing these things, when we are suffering... We can believe. We can trust in God. So the final verses here, starting in verse 12. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Peter concludes here by saying, we obtain grace, and this is what the message of grace is. See, this letter's focused on, was on suffering, right? But it wasn't to depress you, it was to encourage you to see God's grace. And we obtain grace from God in many different ways. John 1.16 reads, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. But Peter, through this whole book, is telling us that one of the ways we receive grace is through suffering. So let us receive suffering. Let us uh, receive trials and suffering the same manner that we would receive grace. So let's pray. Father God, you are so gracious to us.
We receive grace upon grace upon grace, Lord. We receive grace in our suffering. We receive grace in salvation. We receive grace just to, just to serve you. And Father, we thank you for that. We, we, we can't thank you enough. But Lord, we know suffering and trials are going to come into our life if we are serving you and trying to become more like your son, Jesus. Help us to not be surprised by it, Lord. But help us to accept it and to be willing to go through it because we know it is a means by which you give us grace. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.